Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I am Jenny Taylor. And today we are here with my friend Julie. Hi, Julie. Hello, ladies. All right. Julie is going to tell us her story. Um, she is another widow. Welcome to the Widows Club, the, the cool club nobody wants to belong to. Yeah. But she's also got a right. unique she's also got a couple of unique side stories that I'm going to let her get into um, about uh, her husband's chronic illness and then her journey with adoption for her three children. So she's got like we could go on for hours and hours with different angles here. But Julie, we're going to let you take the lead. And can you give us a little background into you and Gary and your family's life? Yeah, so I met Gary, oh goodness, it's been just a little over 20 years ago now. And um, from the very beginning, when I first met him, he had always had health issues. So when he was 15, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that was back in the 80s when that was, you know, a really big deal. It tended to be somewhat of a death sentence back in that time frame. And so he underwent some pretty serious treatments, chemo and radiation and it was kind of the big gnarly stuff back then. And so um, he came through that first round and did well for about a year and a half. And then he actually relapsed and went through everything all over again. Wow. And so by the time, yeah. So by the time I met him, he had um, recovered from the cancer. And I say that because anybody who's had cancer knows that you never really recover from cancer, right? Sure. You just, you figure out how to live with it and the side effects. And so he had some pretty major side effects. Like he only had one functioning lung and he, we always laughed. He was missing so many body parts. It was hilarious. He didn't have like a spleen and part of his lung. And anyway, <laughs> did I mention had Julie has a fabulous <laughs> sense of humor? <laughs> I, I learned you. it from Gary because he could laugh about it, which made it so that it was Unbearable. okay if I laughed yeah. too, you know? So yeah, how, he had old the best were you, how old were when you when you met? So how many years after that first diagnosis, when you came into his life? So I was in my early 20s. So I was pretty okay. young and Gary's a little bit older than me. So he had a little bit more experience in life than I did. Okay. <laughs> Which was kind of a sweet combination because he was a little, um, he'd been around the block a few times and I was kind of wide-eyed and Pollyanna about the whole thing, sure. which, you know, made it so he could survive a little bit because I wasn't already terrified because of all the history. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, you came into it new. Yeah. And so I, I, when I met Gary, I, he, it was so funny. He always said he was the healthiest sick person you'd ever meet because unless you knew that he was sick, you would never know except that he was pretty skinny all of his life. Um, but he would go through bouts of, you know, like major hospital stays and those were always complications from the cancers. And then, um, you know, two weeks later he'd be rock climbing or fishing on the river or, I mean, he loved life and loved adventure. So if he wasn't in a hospital bed or at home recovering, he was out doing something. Why is it always these and, guys that are the ones that get the cancer? Like, 
I all right. Michelle's husband was a lot right. like that. Very active and and he ended up dying from cancer, but you couldn't keep him down no matter how hard you tried. Don't you think it's always the ones that are just like embracing life that the are fullest. the ones that are taken? Yeah. It just it seems I so always wrong. feel like yeah, like he was trying to cram in his whole lifetime into the few years that he got. And I mm, think he did pretty well. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. He crammed in quite a bit. He didn't waste a day. He never wasted the minute of it. No. So tell no. us about your journey together when you two get married and have your family and, and what things look like maybe that first five or 10 years of your married life. Yeah. So we dated forever because, you know, Gary and in his infinite wisdom, because he was older than me you know, said to me all along, you don't want this. You don't want this life. I am not going to live to be an old man. I can't have kids. You say it's fine now because you're in your twenties, but it's not fine. It's not okay. And for me, almost from the beginning, I met Gary and I loved him. It was ridiculous. I remember I hadn't known him very long and I was driving home from a date. And I remember sitting at a stoplight and thinking to myself, if I don't marry him, I will spend the rest of my life looking for somebody exactly like him. Wow. And it never changed for me from that moment on. And so, so a few his, years that, down the road. That is real love to that's me. That's true love. Yeah. His that health issues and things didn't scare you away. Right. You, yeah, you're willing you know, to. If you knew him. Yeah. But if you knew him, all of that was so insignificant because being around him, it's like a drug, right? Like I. I couldn't not like, even today he's been gone almost four years and it's, he's never out of my thoughts ever. Like he is, he is my person and you really can't separate us. Like there's no such thing as Julie without Gary and Gary without Julie. And that's that. just kind of always been our history. Yeah. Mm. So, so beautiful. So, I love that he's, <laughs> he's like, no, we're not going to do this because you know, I can't have mm -hmm. kids and you think it's okay, but it's not okay. And I want so much more for you. What he, what he was saying is yeah. I love you so much. I'm willing to yeah. not even have you to give you the things I can't mm -hmm. give you. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Right. That and that's beautiful. That is love. That is real love. That's awesome. Yeah. He had a, like this, you know, spiritual maturity that went way beyond, you know, the years he had here. Um, so we dated forever, like, especially in Utah terms, we dated for like four and a half years, which is basically an eternity. Yeah, that's All a right. really long time around here. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I didn't even know that was possible here. <laughs> right? Exactly. We're the, we're the oddity. I thought a year so was long ended. here. Uh -huh. right. <laughs> so so through all of that, he took a job in Idaho, which really hurt my feelings. So I took a job in Arizona and then we realized that was really stupid. So then I ended up <laughs> like moving to Idaho. Style. <laughs> yeah. That's I remember hilarious. moving up to Idaho and we never, we never fought ever, but, um, we kind of had this little tiff one day and he was just, he was just so worried about it, you know, that I was young and that I would regret this life with him. And I remember like the one and only time I think I've ever yelled at him. I just said, you don't get to choose for me. Knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, he proposed and there went our happy ever after. So Yay. it just, Aww. Yeah. And then we found out about our first child, Jameson, and his adoption happened so quickly that really, truly, we got married. So we started the adoption process before we were married because we, we ended up through a friend of a friend. We were matched with a birth mom. And so literally Gary told everybody we had to get married because we had Jameson six months later. <laughs> I'm like, that's not funny. 
<laughs> well, and did you mention you've got this cute yeah. little black baby? And yeah, and it, and yeah, he's adopted. Baby. Obviously, he's not the same color, and he's perfection. And but Gary thought that was so funny. So like, once our life started together, it took off like ninety miles an hour. It was so fun. So we ended up adopting over the years three babies. Who those miracles are my like those are my treasured stories, and we'd have to do another podcast about those babies, but. We did end up creating a family of five of us. So, um, yeah. What else can I tell you? What and else? Where, do you know? So, where do you call home? You and those three kids. So, you and Gary. Yeah. So right now, home is Morgan, Utah, and we'll stay that way as long as I can stay here because there, I have never met more incredible people in my entire life. And actually, the town of Morgan plays into Gary's story really beautifully because. He grew up here and, and everybody knew him as the kid with cancer. And so literally the whole town has prayed for him, watched over him, helped his family. They have embraced, you know, Gary and his family basically as long as Gary's been here. So coming back home to Morgan to raise our kids has created this beautiful place for my kids because, you know, later when Gary was diagnosed, well, A, we stand out because I'm like the only lady with black kids or I was at the time, right? So sure. it's kind of hard to miss us, let's be yeah. honest. I like to joke and say, I brought all the diversity to Morgan, which is not true. But, <laughs> but like, it might be close days, to true. Laugh, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. we laughed about it. But, you know, from day one, the people here embraced our little family and we are okay today, mainly because of the people of Morgan. Well, that's beautiful. So, that's beautiful. yeah, they're a big part of his story. All right, Julie, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we want us to tell you what happens next. We, we know Gary's been sick his whole life, but obviously things mm-hmm. must have taken a turn. So hold on and we'll be mm-hmm. right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, Julie, so tell us, what year did you move to Morgan? And then at what time point in, in your and Gary's life together did things kind of turn, take a turn for the worse, for good? Yeah, um... So we, right after we adopted our oldest, just a few months after, actually, he had the opportunity to come. We were living in Idaho at the time, and he had the opportunity to come to um, Utah, back to Morgan with the same company. And we were so excited because every time we would come to Morgan and visit his family, you know, that drive up the canyon is just beautiful. And I always said to Gary, if we ever got the chance to go to Morgan, I want to go. And it, and right after we got our oldest, um, it fell into place and we came home and he did really well for quite a few years. And then, so that would have been in 2002 and then in 2007. So we had our oldest two boys and, um, our second boy was like six months old and our oldest and Gary were like wrestling and rolling around on the floor and, he was trying to ride on Gary's back and, and Gary grabbed his neck one day and went, Oh, ow, that hurts. And I said, what is it? And he kind of looked at me and he had this funny look on his face and he's like, Oh, there's like a, 
like a knot right there in my neck. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Let's, you know, let's keep an eye on it. Anytime a cancer patient says, oh, there's a lump right there. You just panic, right? Yeah. So we kept an eye on it. And over the course of about a week, it, it changed from about the size of a pea to like the size of a peanut shell. And this thing was growing fast. Yeah. It might've been a little longer. My concept of time, I will be honest, I I have widow brain fog. But you're not talking months and months. You're talking days. No, no, it was days. You were talking days. And so we called his oncologist who at this point was a dear friend because we see him like every few months. (laughs) We're on a pretty close basis. Right. Yeah. Like I can drive to the U in my sleep. So we call his his, um, oncologist and he says, I will see you in the morning. So long story short, we go down and it is a stage four sarcoma with basically no survival rate. Oh my gosh. Gary's Gary's Gary and he doesn't quit. And he just says, well, do what you got to do. So they do a massive right neck dissection where basically they take up, they take out the entire right side of your neck. So they took the big surgery, took out everything. Um, and come to find out that tumor came it was a secondary cancer from the radiation he'd had as a child he had actually lived long enough post-radiation to see a secondary cancer and so he was one of the first especially in Utah to survive that initial radiation long enough to see secondary cancer so so wait a second I'm I'm not super familiar with the cancer world so other people may have also run into that but a lot of people who undergo that kind of intense radiation therapy don't live long enough for it to be exactly. problematic okay i was just making sure I exactly because i was going to ask like if this was connected 20... to his other cancer yeah. so it's not necessarily yeah. his other cancer coming it was back. the treatment from that correct cancer. the treatment oh correct. my goodness what year so was this early what treatments year again? they used what so year that was for the 2000 next and probably five 2006 somewhere right in there okay so um, I have one more question. Well, they, when they, you say they yeah. took out his neck, are you talking like the muscles? The like... You'll laugh. We used to joke because he's like, I have half a neck now, like the skinniest neck you've ever seen. Like I had to have his. So they took out his jugular vein, his oh muscles, his skin. Like they took probably I a good didn't two know you could do off that. the right side of his neck. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't you either could. actually I, answer I, I'm sitting here thinking about what's yeah. in our neck and I'm like, I don't yeah. know that it's you can take everything important. <laughs> Oh my! I'm goodness. like, how do you remove any yeah. of that? And how but do wait you a sec. This is head up. this is 2005. Did you say? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And then you just said it's almost been four years since he passed away. So he lived quite yeah. a number of years between the. You bet he did. Okay, tell us some more. Tell us some more. Yeah. So he. So the only way to treat a radiation-induced cancer was with radiation at the time. Wow. Which is a crazy oxymoron, but it was so aggressive and so fast-growing that they had to get it like. We couldn't even wait for chemo to catch up, right? So he underwent this major surgery, six weeks of intensive radiation and survived it. And, you know, his oncologist said, I, I don't really know how you're still here. But like, have you he met this guy? Time, I know why he's here. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. He's not done. So he, um, he ended up telling us, look, this will cause like, we know this is going to cause problems later on. We know that the radiation you've had is going to do damage to your heart and lungs. Um, it's just a matter of time. Hmm. So Gary actually did really well. We ended up adopting our little girl. He worked more than full time. Um, he was educated and beautiful and had an awesome career. He managed nursing home facilities for his whole life and loved it. And he did really, really well until 2014. 
all of a sudden he started losing weight and he, like I told you, he was skinny to begin with. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden he was dropping like a pound a day. Oh my and gosh. we, we knew, yeah, we knew something was really off. And so, um, we went in and they were like, Oh, we're sure it's another cancer. We couldn't find it anywhere. I mean, we had the best doctor ever. And they finally, what we finally figured out is that he had um, heart and lung failure because the radiation had just done so much damage to his heart and lungs that they were not functioning anymore. And at that time, they told us that we had between six to 12 months left before his heart and lungs wouldn't be able to function anymore. And it, gosh, it came out of nowhere for us. Wow. Cause I mean, we've done this all the time, right? Gary gets sick. We go to the hospital. We're like, cut it out, radiate him, do what you got to do. And then, and then get back to, to life. Like, sure. Yeah. Like we've got babies and we've got plans and get out of the way. Yeah. So to hear that this, you know, had a time frame attached was just shocking. Was this the first and time so, any of his diagnoses had come with a time span? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Gary always told his doctors, don't tell me, don't you dare give me a time frame. I will tell you when I'm done. Oh. <laughs> so they were really respectful of that. And nobody yeah. ever said, look, you're done. And so, but we, we knew that the illnesses that he had, like the longest anyone had survived with, um, that, those types of illnesses and problems was three years. And we were pretty sure he was already about a year and a half into already. it. He just had lived sure. along for so long. Sure. Right. So we came home and had some decisions to make. And I just remember it was the strangest thing, Jenny. It just, it settled on us. And I remember being so offended that this death sentence was like settling on us. And we both knew that this was our path. Wow. And, you know, because initially you want to fight back. And I mean, here's Gary, whatever, he's done cancer three times. He, he's like, I'll do it again. You know what I mean? I can handle yeah. anything. And somehow this, this just settled on us and how old we decided, how old are the kids at the time of diagnosis? That's a good question. My brain is going to have to fight to think this through. So (laughs) yeah, right. I know, right. has a habit of asking women, (laughs) telling their stories to do math. I know. I'm sorry. I can't, not that I can even remember how old my own kids were when my husband died, but I think our listeners, are they little? They're still little. Are they junior high-ish? Give me a, give me a picture. Like junior high. And upper elementary. Yeah. So eighth grade, seventh grade, and then elementary. Okay. Excuse me. Eighth, sixth, and elementary. So okay. yeah, my little girl is probably like seven. Okay, I'm so, just trying. So to they're little, them. but it's they're they're little. big enough to know what's going on. And like been these boys before are I mean, hearing honestly, conversations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. So you mm-hmm. make the decision to marry him and and accept mm-hmm. this life. Mm-hmm. Did you really understand what you were getting? Looking back oh, now, whoever knows. <laughs> Right. right. Did you really, did you ever think like, okay, I'm not really going to have this guy around for a very long time? Or, or did you just think, no, he's going to beat the odds and I'm not going to worry about this. We're going to have a, a full life. Oh, I knew it. I used to, at like every couple of years, I would have this vivid dream of being at his funeral and I would wake up just like gasping and sobbing because I, I knew it. I knew that was, mm. but here, I will tell here, you this, here's, Michelle. Here's the truth of the matter. It really doesn't matter whether yeah. you know it or not, right? No. Right. No, it's true. But yeah. interesting that you kind of did already know. I mean, neither of us sitting in this room mm-hmm. could say that. Right. And so two really important things. One, I remember 
there's only been three things in my life that I have ever been 100% certain about. And I can, I can tell you number one, that Gary, he's it for me. He is my person. If I didn't marry him, I would have looked for him forever. Number two, that adopting babies was my path in life. That is how I find my people. And I have not for one second regretted that path. That's That's my other like absolute truth. And the third is that I will be okay being Gary's widow. And I have, I cannot tell you how or when that settled on me, but those three things I carry in my pocket every day. And those are absolutely true for me. Wow. That's beautiful. And they bring you, it sounds like it it brings you a strength and a peace, even though of course you don't necessarily like it. I mean, right. Right. But like you said, so that diagnosis settles on you. You've Mm -hmm. got decisions Mm -hmm. to make. What, what were those decisions? Was it decisions of whether or not to do aggressive treatment? Was it decisions how to spend the last time that you have together? I mean, I can't even think of the list of decisions, but what between that diagnosis and his passing, can you walk us through a little bit of that and some of those bigger decisions or bigger moments? Yeah. Jenny, it was the most beautiful disaster you've ever seen. Like beautiful in that Gary. So first of all, I mean, let's go back to Gary's amazing sense of humor. Like He's hilarious. And we, we had this incredible privilege of being able to talk about everything. And I mean, everything. I remember crying to him in the car and saying, I can't be at your funeral. And he said, love, I, the only thing I want at my funeral is for you to speak. That's all I want. I just want you. And I said, fine, then you better speak too. And he said, okay. So that was our deal. He said, the only thing I want at my funeral is for you to speak and I will speak. And I said, okay, then I will do it. And, you know, I walked in one day, the living room and here's my literally dying husband. And I was like, I have the worst headache. It's killing me. And he just started to laugh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. I Did you really you just say that? <laughs> That's okay, Julie. It's like sometimes when friends will tell me how hard their week's been because their husband's out of town right. for a couple of days oh, and they're exactly. home alone with all the kids. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you did not just say that to me, but that's okay Seriously. if you just said that to me. But it's their honey, truth. I have a headache. Like, it's their reality. Yeah. Honey, and I Jenny, have such a headache. About, I love you. Seriously. But we talked about everything. I mean, everything. We talked about how do you want to die? Do you want a viewing? What am I supposed to do? We had a little bit of life insurance. What am I supposed to do with it? And Gary, you know, Gary, he, you know, I feel like you do know Gary, but I'm like, you know, Gary, he was like, dude, I'm going out with a bucket list. And mm-hmm. we had so much fun with his bucket list because friends got involved and they, like, we had some of like some really dear friends, like gather us up, take us to Colorado, sit on the 15th row at a Broncos game. Oh, Gary's team, right? I love it. And you could hear Peyton Manning yelling, right? You could see the blood. And I mean, it was, it was like (laughs) so fun. So you were able to fill those last months with beautiful moments and memories. Oh my gosh. Every single, so every day, Gary and I had a deal towards the end. He was so sick that he was on oxygen in a wheelchair. It was really hard for him to get out. Mm -hmm. But I said, you're not going to sit down in this basement and die alone. Every day we go outside. And so, and we went on a date every single day. And we were so poor. We were so broke. He wasn't working, you know, Yeah. but sometimes I would scrounge up like two fifty, and, and I'd get him in the car and it took hours to get him medicated to the point where you could get in the car. Right. I'd gather him up and I'd put him in the car and we'd go to Seven Eleven and we would buy a big diet Coke and a thing of nachos. And we would weirdly, okay. We would actually drive up to the cemetery because in Morgan it is the most beautiful spot. And we'd sit up there 
and I try to coax him into eating nachos and we would just talk about everything. He would say, this is how I'm going to come back and help you after I'm gone. This is how we're going to parent the kids. He was like, I want you to buy the car that you want. He, I'm such a clothes horse. Like, like, like that's my love language sweaters. Right. So we would laugh and he would say, I want you to, he's like, I want you to take a few hundred dollars for the life insurance and just go buy some pretty things. And Mm -hmm. I'd laugh and say, I don't need that. And he's like, I don't care. That's what I want to give my wife. Yeah. And we just, we had this beautiful opportunity to say it all. And some of it was devastating and hard, but I, those conversations I carry with me because I don't have to wonder what does Gary want me to do? What would Gary say about this? Because he was so brave. I can't imagine being in his spot and being the one that was leaving. Yeah. I don't know if I could have said it, but he said, he said it all. You know, there's, there's love notes in my journals. There's um, letters for the kids. There's, he just, we said and did all of it, which is the excruciatingly beautiful part of knowing that you're leaving. Right. And he just, he was so brave and he just, we said it and we did it. And he told his friends and, oh my gosh, that was the other part that was the best. The people that came into our home and just loved him because you could laugh about it. You know, towards the end, I'm Gary's six feet tall and I think he maybe weighed 120 pounds, right? Oh my gosh. He looked gaunt and, you know, and so his old shirts were hilarious. They were way too big. And his best friend shows up at the door one day to visit him. And he looks at Gary and it's probably a little shocking for him. And Gary's standing there kind of ready for a fight, right? Like, like, I dare you to insult me. And his friend says, dude, I think you need a bigger shirt. And they just, <laughs> cra- they just cracked up. And oh, I love he it. loaded him in his car and took him for a drive. And the all the people that showed up to love him and buffer that, it was like heaven was in our home because all of these amazing people came and said, I loved you and loved our kids. And, you know, here's all my kids watching this happen. And they're seeing that dad is leaving and in their little minds, they understand it to the ability that they're able to. Sure. And they're going, Oh, this is what it means that you're, you're loved and you're watched over and people come and take care of you and mom and dad hang on to each other for dear life. And I kind of think that my kids got to see what a love story looks like, like front row. Yeah. You know, I remember walking in the kitchen and just, Gary would be at the table trying to eat and I'd walk up behind him and I would kiss him on the side of his face. And I would say, you just stay here. Okay. And he would say, I'll try. (laughs) And I'd say, that's enough. And then I'd make dinner and just this constant open conversation was this tender buffer and it was excruciating, but it was, it made it so soft that I could live there and Gary could live there in that place. Cause you can't really, (laughs) you can't really wrap your head around the fact that one of you is dying, but yeah. not today. But not it's today. A cra- it is the most surreal thing I've ever lived. <laughs> Julie, I love how you called it the most beautiful disaster. I mean, is yeah. that not exactly? This, this <laughs> oh, is totally so was. beautiful, and yet it's a terrible disaster and a tragedy and a heartache yeah. and devastation. Yeah. We're going to take one more quick break and come back. I hear in your voice an amazing sense of positivity, humor, light, hope, and yet you're acknowledging the fact that this is devastating. Let's come back and have you teach us a little bit of what you know of resilience and how you've been able to see the beauty even in the middle of your disaster. 
All right, Julie, you've given us such an insight into your beautiful love story, a love story that continues. Can you talk to us about resilience, uh, what that has looked like, what it's felt like, what the fight for you has been to keep such a positive, humorous approach to something that didn't just come on you for a few months, but for the entire time you knew your husband? Teach us because you've got so much I know the rest of us need to learn. So a day or two after we buried Gary, I came up to his grave and I I remember sitting there and having this overwhelming understanding that because of Gary's life and how he chose to die, I had had a front row seat on how to do hard things gracefully. And I remember thinking, it's my turn now because the whole time Gary was sick, really, I just stood by him and he did the hard thing. And I remember thinking, it's my turn now. And I understood in that moment that my widowhood was now my calling in mortality. This is my job. And if this is my job, then I want to do it the very best that I am able to. If I'm going to be a widowed mother, then I'm going to be the best widowed mom that I know how to be. And that was like, that was the beginning, that decision that this wasn't going to ruin me kind of was that foundation of where to go from here. Not that I had any idea, let's be honest, but I kind of had (laughs) this, like, this is how I want this to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And really a lot of that came into place when I met my widow friends. These, um, I have this group of about five or six amazing younger widows that they started telling me how they've survived it and what did it look like for them. And every time we would sit down and talk, They would say out loud these truths, like these things that came out of their mouth. And I'm like, that is true. That is true for me. And I would put it in my pocket and I would take it home with me and I would mull it over. And I started this list that I call my widow truths. And I have it, I have it in my phone. So it's always with me. And it's things that I have learned that I incorporate into my daily survival. And it's everything from death ends a life, not a relationship. Um, I choose to create a peaceful widowhood. I don't just believe in miracles. I rely on them. Um, my my marriage didn't go anywhere. I mean, I have all of these little things that keep that going, I carry keep going. Me, yeah. Right? I know I, I have love, to open, I, have to I open love all of these. <laughs> I, I love all of these. I've seen a bunch of them on memes on uh, on widow yes. groups and um right. and, and I collect them. I collect them. Right. I love that. You have to as a widow. I love the one, the first one that you said, death ends a life, a life, not a, a relationship. Um, awesome. I don't think people really understand. Like you really can still grow that relationship. I have the strangest yeah. thing that happened last night. I'm just going to share the story mm-hmm. with oh, you. Oh, tell me. Oh, I love these. <laughs> <laughs> so I ate a piece of chocolate. One of those, um, Oh, the foil wrapped uh, Hershey's, like the little nuggets, the nuggets. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, you know, it's has that foil that's heavy and I placed uh-huh. it next to my bed and I have a little fan running in my room that's also next to my bed, but I placed it mm-hmm. next to my bed and um, about 20 minutes later, it starts rocking back and forth loudly. And I'm like, what <laughs> is that? And I turn over and I see this wrapper rocking. And I'm like, well, that's strange because it's pretty loud and it's mm-hmm. moving quickly. It's a piece of tinfoil. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a piece <laughs> of, right. 
But but I thought it was strange because I'm like, I didn't just turn on the fan. Like, why did it just start doing right, that? Right, right. Why now? So I looked at it and I said, John, is this you? If this is you, make it stop. And it stopped. Oh, my gosh. And I said, John, are you making this thing go? Make it go. And it started rocking again. Oh. And I'm like... I believe those things happen. I believe that there are signs all around us. It's just whether we'll choose to acknowledge them and see them. Michelle, we call those our postcards from heaven. And if you look, they're everywhere. Yeah. Because I I always say, Gary's greatest joy, I know this, when he sends something to me and I see it, he's like, I knew my wife would get that. And that is how we stay in love, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have those little moments all the time and it's him. It's his way of texting me and saying, I love you. And I'm like, I know. I say, I see you. I tell him that all the time. I see yeah. you, Gary. Yeah. I, I have, <laughs> I, I would love to have an offline discussion because I have a bunch Seriously. of things that we could talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like it. you really can continue to grow that relationship. And, and I, yeah. I actually would would be okay to find somebody else to finish life with. But I'm starting to get to the point where like, I think I'm done with this um, Mm -hmm. looking. uh, And I think Mm -hmm. I just need to accept that it's me. Mm -hmm. It's it's me for, you know, my kids are all grown, so I don't have kids at Mm -hmm. home to keep me busy, but I'm I'm like, you know, I think I just got to get on with doing what I want to do and living Mm -hmm. life. Which is such a beautiful widow truth. Like you have to find your path. The yeah. thing that works for you. I love that yeah. you said, Julie, back up to what you said. I choose to live a peaceful widowhood or what did, how did you word that? Yeah. And I, I, think, I, I choose to create a to peaceful create, widowhood. To okay. We could dissect yeah. that because right. for one thing, you're acknowledging mm-hmm. that it's a choice. And I really think resilience yeah. is a choice. I know some I people too. think it's yeah. like this God-given gift, which, okay, it is that too. <laughs> or like some people. Always. It's an It's a muscle to feel like use and exercise. an mm-hmm. exercise, that yes. resilience. So you're creating... Exactly. And I love yeah. that the word you're choosing to create is peaceful, mm-hmm. not euphoric, not super fun all the time, not exactly what I yeah, always no. ever wanted, but that you can be <laughs> yeah. at peace. Like you said, when that diagnosis yeah. of Gary settled on you, that yeah. didn't mean you necessarily loved it or chose it, or that's what you'd always dreamed of. And yet right. you found a peace. And so we can choose to create peace in our lives. Is mm-hmm. that not what the world needs right now? We're, we're in a pandemic. Right. We're in a time of all kinds of political strife. We've got lots of problems in this world, heartache that's personal, professional, political. And yet you're teaching us how to create, to choose, yeah. to create yeah. peace. I, I just, let's put that on a t-shirt. I, I choose to create yeah. peace. Well, And here's the truth of the matter is we all say yeah. that we want world peace, but we actually don't. And the proof is we don't have it because like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world, Mm -hmm. be the change. Mm -hmm. If we all wanted peace, we'd all create peace, which means we have to have peace within our own hearts, with our own selves. Mm -hmm. But we also have to choose to not be in conflict with others. Mm -hmm. To create that peace. And it's proactive. It takes energy and effort. It takes effort. It takes energy and it takes resolution. It's not Mm -hmm. easy, right? Um, I love what Michelle just said about we choose that. So one of the, one of the beautiful things that one of the other widows taught me was everybody is going to come to you, especially when you're newly widowed and they want so badly to fix it for you, right? They want to help you. They want to make it better. And none of them can. And so sometimes people will say or do things that are cliche or trite and they or just plain unhelpful. And they're not, they're not trying to be anything other than wonderful and a relief to you. 
But one of the things that I was taught that was so beautiful is when somebody hands you something and it doesn't fit, you hand them back one of your truths. When they say, you know, Gary lives on in your heart, I say, no, Gary lives at my right shoulder and he's got a wicked sense of humor, right? <laughs> he's and right you, here. Yeah, you hand back these beautiful truths. And the thing that I've learned is that people who are unfamiliar with death, especially the death of a spouse, those things that, that I've been given to understand, they are so valuable to the people if I'm willing to open my mouth and share them, yeah. most people are like, holy cow, I had no idea. You can still be madly in love with somebody dead. Yeah, yeah. you can. Yeah. Yeah. You it's can still find and meaning fun, and purpose right? in, a, in a widowhood yes. life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can still raise your children feeling connected to their father and influenced by him and even disciplined by him. I mean, one of our mm-hmm. guests, you know, you know, Courtney, she was one that said... Yeah, um, you know, her husband had told her, "Who if, if I'm for some reason ever not here with the kids, go ask your mother. She knows what I would say. You mm-hmm. know what Gary would say to those kids in a time of sadness or a oh, time yeah. of discipline or something. You, oh, yeah. you can represent him mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. Julie, I just love that. I love this beautiful love story of yours that continues. I love, I love the, your, just your outlook on life and how you've chosen to create a peaceful life in the midst of what a lot of people really could justifiably complain about or just give up and say, that's it. I'm done. No more. I've had enough. And yet Mm -hmm. time and time again, you've chosen to create a peaceful path. And I just, I'm going to write that down. I'm probably going to put it like on my bathroom (laughs) mirror. I choose to create a peaceful widowhood, a peaceful motherhood, a peaceful profession, a peaceful, whatever it is. And then emphasizing that choice and that grace that you give other people when they maybe say dumb things that aren't helpful. And then you don't just let them say their dumb thing and you don't get mad, but you teach them. Mm-hmm. You you reply with yeah. kind of maybe a clarification that they hadn't thought of. And now your sure. perspective is enhancing their perspective and helping them create peace. Yeah. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Well, and it's part of the yeah. reason Jenny and I are doing this podcast in and of itself. Right, I right. mean, you know, it is the entire purpose. I think it's number one, a great avenue to give people a, a mm-hmm. document, a way to document their story and, and yeah. what they've endured. And I feel like we mm-hmm. all should have our moment to document like this thing was hard. It's yeah. It gives other people the opportunity to say, oh, I'm in a similar situation there's going to be some mm-hmm. stories that are similar that someone can sure. identify with and it's going to encourage sure. them to move on and be move forward but i also mm-hmm. feel like the education piece is really important because it is interesting it's kind of like you get a brand new car and you're like oh i love this color blue i've not seen this color blue on the road but then all of a sudden you buy the car and then all of a sudden you're like oh there's Every, a lot of the everybody same everybody has a blue car <laughs> yeah like what really? what was i thinking i never noticed all of the blue cars before I think it's the same thing. Like my sister actually has been a widow for a long time, but I, I didn't mm-hmm. really know a lot of widows and I, I kind of felt like that was a rarity mm-hmm. and um, I became a widow and all of a sudden I'm, I'm the one that people say, oh, this lady just lost her husband in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. This person we call it being like the beloved grim reaper right <laughs> like nobody knows that. what to do with death right. until and it's like somebody oh. dies and they're like what do you do oh you can call julie or jenny or michelle because they'll know what to they not know. say <laughs> right because they know they know what to say or not say and and yeah. you know i always tell people you know it's really nothing that you're going to say 
You can't say anything right. to make it better. No, you can't fix but it. You can put your arm around them. You can do their mm-hmm. dishes. You can bring them a food and they will get the message that you care that you just are that there. They are just there and that they are supported. And that's all we need. We just need to know that we're loved. We're still it's true. We're still loved by somebody else. Our the person that loved us the most is gone, but there there are going to be others that will take a part and share their love with us, and that means so much. Yeah, it really that does. makes me think of what, one of my my other like widowhood truths is that I I always joke and say I do widowhood with every advantage possible because. Anytime you're in a hard situation, the minute you look around and you start counting blessings, you don't have to look very far. Even things like we live in a country where like social security death benefits are a thing. That that's ridiculous. What a huge blessing for me and my kids. I live in a community where when I don't have my crap together and I forget it's high school registration, the the coach registered my kids. Hmm. It's fine. He's got it. I you know, I live in an area where like I said, I, I have, okay, it's 2021. I have, black, I'm raising black teenagers in 2021. Are you kidding me? Like, could this be more complicated? Yeah. And yet everyone around me loves and looks out for my kids. Yeah. I like, I, if, if I don't stop and acknowledge every blessing and advantage that I have been given to do this calling that I've been called to, I would ruin it. And so the gratitude, even in the hard stuff, it, it blunts those sharp edges and it, it blurs it bearable because yeah. Gary would never leave me to do this by myself. And in fact, I always joke and say, before Gary died, he handpicked the most amazing people to be his friends. And then he left them all to me like this gift, right? Like I've got the brother that helps with finances and the brother that fixes the car and the brother that comes and takes my boys hunting and the like he left me these beautiful people, all of which, let's be honest, were drawn to us because of Gary, but I get to keep them. And they are my greatest treasures. These, these people that Gary chose for us. Wow. And so to say that I do widow, widowhood is kind of feels like a, a misrepresentation, a little bit of a lie. I feel like I have all of these blessings and all of, and it's hard. Like I'm still the lady that cries when her car breaks down because I don't know what to do. But everywhere I look, there's, there's help. There's, you know, there's a tender mercy. There's a miracle. There's, I bump into Gary or a love note he left me or somebody shows up at the moment. Like I have this sweet friend and for some reason she's taken it on herself to every year on our wedding anniversary, she brings me flowers that Gary would bring me. So sweet. And every year she softens that day for me. And every year there's beauty in place of ashes. Yeah, and that that's, so I think, beautiful. where the resiliency comes from. Yeah. Like that ability to keep going is because I'm constantly traded beauty for ashes over and over and over. Julie, I love you. Like, you have taught us so much. And I think it just really comes down to what you've said, that you choose to see. Mm-hmm. You choose to see Gary mm-hmm. still in your life. You choose to see the good people helping you. You choose to see the blessing or the tender mercy when everything else is really upside down and kind of a mess. Thank you very much. And that beautiful disaster, you choose to see, but you choose to see the beauty. Most of us would just call it a disaster. Let's be honest. I call mine a train wreck all the time. Like, we are such a train wreck. (laughs) 
I'm going to start calling us a beautiful train wreck. <laughs> right? We are a beautiful train wreck at our house. Julie, I love you. I want what well, here's what I want you to I do. I want you. you to email I call your me. house a beautiful chaos. Oh, I just call us oh. a family circus. You should have seen us. Um, At the time of recording, we just spent a week at Universal Studios. Me and seven children, ages 3 to 15. Like, it was the trip of my life. And I'm like, okay, good. We'll never have to do that again. But it was so much fun. Here's what I want you to do, Julie. Can you email me more of those widow truths? And when we post this episode on our social media pages, we'll share some of those. Because I think those concepts are known to a lot of us who've been through hard things. But you've put them into just small words. And that is helpful. Yeah. And so we... We and I will give credit you. to the widows I stole them from, let's be honest. And, and I know mean, none of I us are going to remember where you, they but... came from anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> so it's all a blur. I love that you see the the other people in your life and the people that he left you, that it's connection. And that's connection. especially all of this yeah. pandemic in the last year that we've been in. Mm. I don't have as many people in my life as what it sounds like you do, but connection is so important and without the people that I have had come into my life since losing my spouse I no way could I make it through no no, no way do I make a lot it of one day to fill that hole yeah. I always say it takes like 15 people to make one Gary yeah for me. <laughs> yeah I I yeah I I've never thought about what it would take to <laughs> To make up a John, but uh, it takes a lot of people. It, it would and take really a lot. People, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was yeah. just such a, you know, people people that knew us well. And, and one of his good friends would say to me, Michelle, you're never going to get remarried because there's never going to be any. There's, there's. John was one of a kind. There's yeah. not another John. Right. You and can't redo that. <laughs> here's the thing: I, I could never replace him, and I wouldn't want to. Right. John was unique, right. and that was special in its own way. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't even want to necessarily be with someone that even really remotely reminded me of him in some ways. Yeah, because they have to be pretty different, don't they? you think? Yes, because, <laughs> yeah. because I would need it to be separate from that experience. You know, right, like I, right. I wouldn't want to feel like I was making a replacement because I want to keep what I had whole and special. And I, and I think for those who have remarried, I think they would probably say that's what they've found is it's not necessarily yeah. a replacement. It's an additional love. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not there in my mind. I'll be honest right now, but you know, for example, my mother is going to get remarried. Yeah. She's made that very clear to me yeah, and tells me I'm crazy all the time for even considering well, it. I actually think that I'm you're finally... starting to agree with me. So I'll just tell you I, that I'm right the, there. She's converting you. Uh, yeah. She's converted me. And, and so has dating dating. Well, dating's what's dating. Okay, let's be honest, Michelle. Your dating experience has confirmed my stance against dating. So we'll just stop right there. It's true. It's true. All right, Julie, we love you. We're excited to share this episode with our listeners and to our listeners. We thank you for joining us again today. We hope that you're with us every week as we launch a new episode. And what we really hope is that you'll reach out to us and share your stories. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Let us know the real life stories that you have faced or maybe a family or a friend, a family member, a friend that you know. Help us get these stories out there so that we can uplift, we can inspire each other. And most of all, we can know we are never alone in the hard things that we face. So we're grateful that you're with us. Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating and a review. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of Relentlessly Resilient. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, whatever you do. Remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their own lives.